0: You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from Heritage Baptist Church in Corpus Christi, Texas, led by Pastor Johnny Che. Our church is dedicated to serving Jesus Christ and reaching the world by going forward with the gospel. We pray that you will be helped and blessed by this message from God's Word. I preached on grace on Wednesday and applied it in a way of grace is divine strength in human hearts. But at its core, at its base, grace is when God gives us something that we do not deserve. And there is a problem that I am seeing in this world. There is a problem that you are seeing in this world. And the idea, this this problem is creeping into the churches that we don't need grace. And there's a reason. It's because we refuse to admit just how sinful our sin is. We know that we are sinners. We know that we are not perfect. But we get in this game of comparing our lives to other people's lives, and as long as I'm not doing that, I'm okay and we find ways to justify our sin, we find ways to justify how we react. Yeah, I I know I lost my temper, but we always find a way to, to pass the buck and to point it back at somebody else and deflect instead of repent. People aren't getting saved today because people refuse to be lost. They're like men driving down the street No man is going to ask for directions because he's not going to admit that he's lost. And men are kicking and screaming and drowning in their sin. And here comes God by in his ship of righteousness saying, I will save you. But they refuse to say say that they're hopeless. They refuse to stop kicking and just trusting in the Lord. And Christians today aren't getting right because we refuse to see how wrong we are. Some things just never change. It's always been that way. And until the Lord comes and reigns in glory, it always will be that way. But it should not be that way with you. You're a child of the King. You should be different. God has called you to holiness. God has purchased every bit of you. And yet many hold back. I struggled with calling this one Some Things Never Change because my daughters watch this horrible movie and there's a song named Some Things Never Change in that. And I don't want the teenagers singing it in the back of their mind the entire time. But... The other title, There Are Aspects of Life That Remain Unaltered by Time or Circumstances, didn't ring as much. (laughs) So I'm calling it Some Things Never Change. Now, you cannot say all things never change. There are some things that just stay the same. And praise the Lord for that. There are some things that do change, though. I was born in 1991. And my, how things have changed since then. When I was a kid, what are you laughing at? (laughs) Miss Loveday's like, I've got sweaters older than you. Be quiet. (laughs) I was born in 1991. Let no man despise thy youth. (laughs) Have you ever... You know, when I was a kid, kids played outside. Now everyone plays inside. Kids' thumbs are huge. I don't play thumb war with kids. It's, they win every single time. But you, you can wear these goggles and you can imagine in your living room that you're throwing a football. You can go outside and do that. And the graphics are a lot better. I watched Looney Tunes. Looney Tunes and Tom and Jerry, all those good things. But today, I mean, what was PG back, what was PG, what's PG today is R back then. Kids got spanked in school. I remember going into the principal's office and he had three different sizes, three different sizes of paddles depending on how big the kid was. I remember, I remember it. Yeah, so you would walk in and you would be like, am I the small, am I the medium? Don't, don't let me be the large. I remember a time in, in, um, in orchestra practice where the principal, who was also the, the orchestra director, yeah, you know, go to my office and get my paddle. And he paddled the child in front of the entire band we had some extra percussion that day. <laughs> Can't do that today. Nobody got participation trophies nope. when I was born. Cell phones were the size of cinder blocks. Everyone had the, you had the rotary phone. There was no GPS back then. Mom sat in the passenger seat with a map. And there was a little plastic container between the seats with all your maps in it, right? It was good when someone rang the doorbell. Now you're thinking, like, what do they want? People sat around the dinner table, they talked, and now you can't, you can't get people to stop. We are so connected, we're disconnected with everybody. Policemen were the good guys. Church was the place to be. Not because they gave away PlayStations or because you could go and play in some ball pit somewhere, but that's where you learned about the Lord. That's where you heard stories, and your Sunday school teacher was there. And there was that one person who gave away... Well, there were, there were multiple people. I could go to him for Jolly Ranchers. I can go to him for... My, how things have changed. Forget about since when I was a kid. How about just when this year started? To where we are now. Used to shake hands. Now everything is... All around this world, there are, there are old men. Sonny, look me in the eye when you bump my fist. <laughs> I want to get back to handshaking. When you sneezed at the beginning of the year, people would say, God bless you. Now they give you the death stare. I saw, somebody, I saw somebody the other day in a, in a store with their mask on, and they go, <gasps> and they bring their mask down. to Anyways. A lot of people singing onward Christian soldiers at the beginning of the year are now singing online Christian soldiers. Why go to a pew when you can sit on the couch? My, how things have changed. But praise the Lord, there are things that never change. I haven't watched them, but as far as I know, the cowboys are still terrible. (laughs) Cereal still tastes better at night. God is still on the throne. And God is still good. And God is still God. And his word is still true. Still inspired, still preserved, still powerful, still sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut you coming and cut you going. Still profitable. This story that, was, that we just read was written 5,000 5, years ago. Took place some 5,000 years ago. And it is still, still just what we need today. Because some things never change. I want to bring out three elements of this story that are going to show us that some things never change. And wouldn't you know it, they, have, they all have something to do with God. If you want stability in your life, if you want to be rooted and grounded in your life, stop trying to build your life upon unstable things. Stop trying to build your life upon people who are just as unstable as you are. Stop trying to build your life upon circumstances that can change. Build your life on what's solid. And there are only two things in this life that are perfect enough to never change, and that is God and his word. If you want to make it through this life without crumbling, build your life on what is solid. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. Don't insert your opinion. Don't water it down. Stop rewriting God's word and reread God's word. Really? Talked to a man last week. Do you still use the King James Bible? Yes. Why do you force people to use the King James Bible? I said, I don't force people to use the King James Bible. I said, but as a pastor... Who is supposed to lead a church that is the pillar and ground of the truth when I see other versions that have man's dirty hands stuck into it I'm going to tell my people why don't you read the why don't you read God's word and not man's word I don't understand how people can look at a cup of coffee that is pure unadulterated just good coffee And then you have another cup over here that has sugar and salt and mold and all this stuff that gets put into it. And they look at it and say, oh, it's still coffee. No, 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 no. It's not still coffee. This one is pure. This one is tainted. I don't want a tainted cup of coffee when I can have a real cup of coffee. (laughs) I got a good sleep last night. I had two cups of coffee this morning, but I am bothered. I am bothered by the reaction, the complacency, the compromise that we have in this world towards sin isn't wicked anymore and good isn't righteous anymore. It can just all be mixed in. And that's what we see here in this chapter. But God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So if what is happening here in this, what God's reaction is in this passage, it's, it's going to be his reaction today. And in this passage of scripture, we find the population of man just rapidly growing. And in verse 2, we're introduced to this group of people called the sons of God. Now, we don't have the time, nor do we have the reason to debate over who these people are. You can read opinion after opinion and commentary after commentary about the sons of God were fallen angels or the sons of God were, the, were men from the line of Shem, and it just, men argue back and forth. And isn't that just what the devil would do? Get us arguing about who these men were rather than looking at what they did. That's the point. The point in the scripture, what What did they do? The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and they took wives of all which they chose. So what do you have in Genesis chapter two? You have God making man and woman, male and female. And he says in Genesis chapter two, therefore shall a man, singular, leave his father and mother, who were also singular, by the way, and cleave unto his wife, singular, and they shall be one flesh. Two become one. That is God's plan for marriage. In Genesis 6, we have men saying, or the sons of God, take your pick. They took wives of all who they chose. Adultery, polygamy, immorality, fornication, lust. If you want it, take it. And it's getting so bad, genetics are being distorted. There's giants in the earth. That is man and only man's doing. God created man upright, but man sought out many inventions, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. And the Lord said in verse 3, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for he is also flesh. What is one thing that never changes? God's spirit. Since the fall of man, since sin has entered into this world, God's spirit has been striving with man's flesh. To strive means to make great effort, to obtain, to try to obtain something. As much as light wants to eradicate darkness, or as much as Peace sings to, ceases, or I'm sorry, as much as peace seeks to overcome war, God's spirit strives with man's flesh. Not for our destruction. God doesn't have to strive for our destruction. All God has to do is remo- remove his mercy for one moment, and we would be consumed. He's not striving for our destruction, He's striving for our repentance to turn from your sin and turn to him, not hoping for it, not wishing for it, striving for it, making great effort to show us the folly of our sin. But remember, he will not do that forever. When you decide, when you show God, I am going to live however I want, I'll choose what I want to read in the Bible. I'll choose what I want to believe in the Bible. But I'll ignore all the rest. When you show them, I am going to serve myself. I am not going to serve you. And then we expect, you expect God not to do anything about it? You're wrong. He said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Yet. Are you following? My spirit shall not always strive with man, yet his days shall be in 120 years. You know what that's called? Mercy. I am not going to put up with that forever, is what the Lord said. Yet, I'll give you time. I'll give you time to get it right because God is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But too many people are mistaking God's patience for God's permission. Because lightning doesn't fall, we think we're gonna be just fine. We mistake God's mercy for his disregard And instead of surrendering, we keep striving back against him. Some things never change. So first of all, we saw God's spirit, but now I want to show you God's heart. This is the first time that the word heart is used in the Bible. The first time the word heart is used in the Bible, God uses it to describe how wicked we are. The imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Look in verse 5, we'll read it together. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth. Here's the second time that the word heart is used. And it grieved him at his heart. The first two instances of the word heart, one is describing how wicked man's heart is. Another is describing how loving God's heart is. Look at the horrible state of man. He didn't just sin. He always sinned. He didn't just always sin. He always thought about how to sin more. He didn't just always think about how to sin more. He always thought about thinking about how to sin more. More. Now consider this. From Adam to Noah were ten generations. If you consider that a generation is maybe a hundred years, it took only ten generations from man to go from perfect in the garden to Only thinking about thinking, about doing nothing but evil continually. Ten generations. And in his mercy, God has granted men time, and what do they do with it? They don't use it to get right. They use it to do more wrong. And is God's heart angered by this? Is it just unaffected by this? Is he indifferent to this? No, the Bible says it grieved him at his heart. Deep sorrow, a heavy burden, and some things never change. That's why Jesus thousands of years later says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I wanted to gather you like a hen would gather her chickens and you you would not. How he saw the multitudes and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. God calls and man runs. God gives mercy and man doesn't even notice. God hangs the sun in the sky and men use its light to sin. God gives us breath in our in our lungs and man uses it to curse him and blaspheme him and say I don't believe your word and I never will. God gives us a healthy body and man uses it for fornication. God gives us a mind to think and man uses it for evil imaginations and God's heart is grieved. Because that's not why he made us. He didn't make us to serve ourselves. He made us to serve Him. But even though God made us to serve Him, He won't make you serve Him. He made man to love one another, not to constantly be fighting with one another and killing and desiring to have, 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 and take, take, take. He didn't make man to do that. He didn't make you to live under the cruel bondage of sin. He didn't make you to be oppressed by the lies of the devil. He didn't make you to obey man and to trust man and to fear man. He didn't make you to live in debauchery and wickedness. He didn't make you to watch filth in your home. He didn't make you to live in adultery. He didn't make you to love the world and the things of the world. He didn't make you to be at odds with your fellow Christian and live in fear and live these lukewarm lives. He didn't make you to do that. Where you have just enough of God to hate the world and just enough of the world to hate the Lord. He didn't make you to do that. And yet so often that's exactly what man does. God gives us children and we abort them. God gives us marriage, but we live in fornication. And we redefine it. God makes us men and women. But we say, no, we're going to do things our way. Men will be with men and women will be with women. And if you say that you're a man, but you're actually a woman, and you say that you're a woman, but you're actually a man, and even if you're a, we'll teach it in school. And we point our finger at God and say, what are you going to do about it? Now, I know who I'm talking to this morning. Maybe you don't feel that way. But is there not an easily besetting sin in your life that you refuse to let go? And we are just as much pointing in God's face and saying, what are you going to do about it? He says, my spirit will not always strive with you about it. I'll give you time. God calls us to holiness, we live in worldliness. God calls us to love him, we love the world. God calls us to be faithful, we neglect. God calls us to give and we withhold. God calls us to trust in him for salvation. But we say, I'll I'll trust my religion, thank you very much. Have you ever had a salesman come up to you before? There was a salesman in the airport at uh, Bogota. And he wanted to sell me a watch And he had a kiosk. It's not like he was coming up like, hey. (laughs) He had a kiosk. And he was selling some of my favorite watches, these Invicta watches. And he said, I want to sell you a watch. Look at these watches. They're automatic and they keep good time. And I went like this. I've got my own. So as long as I've got my own, I don't need yours. And Jesus comes along and says, I want to give you my righteousness. And we look back and say, I got my own. and God's spirit will not always strive with that. And it grieves his heart. It always has, it always will. It grieves his heart because that's not why he made us, but it also grieves his heart because he knows, I've got to punish that. Do you know when your children do something, and you, maybe you hear about it, and you, you hope in your mind, I, I, I hope that's not true. And then you look at them and say, did you do that? Yes. You realize I can't let that go. You realize you have to be punished for that. Do you feel that, you, feel that you, that your heart breaks more for your children than the Heavenly Father's heart breaks for you? God is righteous enough to hate sin He's merciful enough to give us time to get it right. He's loving enough that it grieves his heart, but he is holy and just enough to say, if you're going to keep doing what you're doing, I will take care of it. I will not let that go. And in verse 7, the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created. That brings God no joy. Lamentations 3 says, For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. Ezekiel 33:11, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that they turn from his way and live. But he says, I will destroy man. My spirit will not always strive with them. I give them time and they use it to run from me and that's not why I made them. And it grieves my heart, but sin must be punished. I will destroy man and the, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowl of the air. But oh, verse eight, but Noah found grace. In the eyes of the Lord, God's spirit never changes. He hates your sin. He always will hate your sin. If the lightning isn't falling, it's not because He doesn't see it, it's not because He's condoning it. It's because God's heart has never changed and He loves you and He wants you to turn back to Him and He'll give you time. But He must punish sin. That punishment is coming but then God's eyes. Let's open our eyes for a moment here. Look look around at all of of what is happening in our world today. The strife and the anger and the violence and the riots and the division. But then just look at nature, the, the storms and the fires. You really think that it's a coincidence when a state in our union says no church, bars yes, Abortion clinics, yes. Church, no. Fire, 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 fire. Well, I'll tell you, we made Mother Nature mad. How ignorant. There's no Mother Nature. There's Father God. And everyone's thought, well, it's global warming. One of the teenagers asked me the other day, do you believe in global warming? Nope. Sure don't. Lord said summer and winter and rain and harvest, that won't cease. But Al Gore is worried. <laughs> Maybe the angel who's over the weather is falling asleep. I don't believe in global warming. But is something happening where things are, the heat is turning up a little bit and storms are getting stronger and bugs are getting bigger? I'm telling you, the bugs are getting huge. I saw a, a water bug. It's not a water bug, it's a roach. <laughs> climbing, out of, climbing out of my sink like Godzilla, and I'm Asian, that's big for me. <laughs> like what are these things eating? Like you hear it, like boom, boom, boom. this pandemic and all these things. It's not global warming. I think it's godly warning. Amen. And he did say one day this earth will burn with fervent heat. So I do not, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the Lord was just turning up the dial. Revelation talks, about, I'm having too much fun. Revelation talks about how one day in a, a meteor named Wormwood is going to hit the earth. I guarantee you, when God made the stars, he set that thing in order. And he orchestrated everything where it would, it would have a steady course all the way through. It wouldn't hit anything. It wouldn't, it wouldn't slow down. It's going to hit right when he wants it to. What do they all mean? All these... All this strife and anger and riots, what does all that mean? They mean what they've always meant. It is God's merciful reminder, my spirit shall not always strive with man. Merciful, yes. That's right, preacher, that's why America needs revival. No, 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 the church needs revival. Revival. We desperately need it. We must have it. The lack of revival in our time is not because God doesn't want to send it. God wants to send revival more than we want to send revival. The reason the church cannot be revived is because the church refuses to die. You can't revive something unless it's dead. And we refuse to die to our will. We refuse to die to our sin. We kick and we scream and say, I'm going to do things my way can't revive that. Sinners don't get saved because they refuse to admit they're dead. And he's looking down at all this wickedness. And even though his hand could crush us in his might, he strives with us in his mercy for our repentance His heart is grieved daily by his creation living in a way that he never made us to live. He didn't make us to live in rejection and sin. He wants us to live in redemption and holiness. And he says, although I am not willing that any should perish, sin must be punished and there is coming a day when God's wrath will be poured out upon sin. No, not by a flood, but by fire. That is coming. But throughout it all, don't you see, Don't you see, the whole time that God's spirit is striving, the whole time that God's heart is grieving, his eyes are searching for someone that he can shed his grace upon. He's searching for someone, and he found Noah. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It says in chapter 7, verse 1, The Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for for thee I have seen righteous before me. Why? Because Noah was righteous? No, because God has always saved by grace. And God has always led by grace. And God has always blessed by grace. And God has always used by grace. Because we don't deserve it. God's Spirit has striven against you and I more than anybody else. We have grieved God's heart more than anybody else. But still he looks down and says, if you humble yourself, I give grace to the humble. We live in a wicked world. Evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. First John 5 says, we know the whole world lieth in wickedness. What am I looking for today? I'm looking for some Noahs who understand we need grace because we are sinners and we have broken God's heart with our sin and we have striven against him in our stubbornness and in our rebellion, but we want to be different. We want God to to shed his grace upon us so that we can show others how amazing he is. We need somebody like Noah who will say, I don't care what everyone else in the world is doing. I'm going to do what's right. I don't care that everyone else is serving self. I want to serve God. I don't care if everyone else is living in fear. I want to live in faith. His spirit is still striving. His heart is still grieving. His eyes are still searching for someone who will say, God, I'm nobody. But give me the grace to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. I'll end with this. I've heard many people recently say, I'm looking around and I just don't see God anywhere. Everything's falling apart. Everything's crumbling down and I just don't see God. I don't see God. I don't see God. I'm looking. Maybe you've felt that way throughout this past year. I promise you. You humble yourself, confess your sin to the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to do what's right. He'll find you. And He'll use you. Now, let me ask you a question Has God found you in this matter of salvation? Has God shed His grace upon your soul? Have you been born again?